For God's sake, let us sit upon the ground and tell sad stories of the deaths of kings, how some have been deposed, some slain in war. I me, I see the ruin of my house. The tiger now hath seized the gentle hind. Insulting tyranny begins to jut upon the innocent and aweless throne. What is a man? Sure he made us with such large discourse, looking before and after, gave us not that capability and godlike reason to fust in us unused. O oh, my dear father, restoration hang thy medicine on my lips, and let this kiss repair those violent harms that my two sisters have in thy reverence made. I am a king that find thee, and I know, tis not the balm, the scepter and the ball, the sword, the mace, the crown imperial, the throne he sits on, nor the pomp that beats on the high shore of the world. This is the mighty history of the British Empire, a people living on a tiny island in the North Atlantic Ocean, built an empire that circled the earth and brought freedom and education to languishing millions. This empire was blessed by Almighty God and one of his best educated teachers, William Shakespeare. Shakespeare has educated some of the greatest leaders of all time, such as Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill. We shall never surrender. Our troubled world needs a fresh crew of nation-building leaders. Are you ready to step up to the challenge? Welcome to the exciting classroom of Shakespeare's royal education with host Dennis Leap. Well, greetings everyone. Welcome back to Shakespeare's Royal Education. Now, I don't have any comments today, and that's okay. I have a lot of comments to make myself, and so glad to be back with you. On our last program, I ended the podcast on page 63, line 93, and that was Act 3, Scene 4. Now, for today's program, what I want to do is is I want to go back to uh, page 63 again, and um, uh, we're going to go... Let's see, we stopped at line 93. And uh, what I want to do is is I go, I want to go back to Act 3, Scene 4 again. And um, what I want to do for you is, in some ways, I, w- I think I went so quickly, but I, what I'd like to do is, is just help you understand what really happened here. And um, th- th- I think there's a, a f- some really interesting things I, I can say to you today. And uh, I, I find them interesting anyway. And so let's go back to page 48. And uh, I know this is going back pretty far in Act 3, Scene 1. But one of the things I just want you to know is Act 3 is probably, it is the longest act in this play. And you almost have to read it a, a couple times to really to really get what's going on. And so... What, what I want to, to prove to you today is that it is Pandolf that incites the war between England and France. And, um, you know, they had their war at Angiers. They, you know, they did all that. And, of course, that, that didn't work out the way they wanted to. And if you remember from the, from the last couple of programs, remember that Pandolf comes in and he's mad at King John because... 
King John will not install the Pope's choice for uh, to be Archbishop of Canterbury, and uh, you know, so so Pandolf is is coming there, already keyed up to go after King John. So so uh, again, let's go back to page forty eight. I want to start at one line one sixty two, and th- this is a uh, King John's line. And the more I, I kind of studied over this, the more I began to realize that there is some history in here that, that Shakespeare obviously knew. And it's, it's, it's history that, that uh, those of us here in the Philadelphia Church, we have studied this as well. So I think you're going to find this very interesting. And then it probably will generate some comments. But, but here's King John again. This is... Uh, uh, Page 48, we're going to go line 162. We're going to start with King John today. And it says, uh, remember now um, that Pandolf has already told King John that he's got to listen to Pandolf. And, you know, he's got to follow the Pope. And again, I'm sure we've read this before, but I I have a kind of a little new twist for it that, that will probably help you. And this is King John line 162 says, though you and all the kings of Christendom are led so grossly by this meddling priest, dreading the curse that money may buy out and by the merit of vile gold, dross, dust, purchase corrupted pardon of a man who in the cell of cells pardon from himself, though you and all the rest so grossly led this juggling witchcraft and revenue cherish, yet I alone, alone do me oppose against the Pope and count his friends my foes. And so, so it's essentially what Shakespeare is doing here is he's using King John to, to talk about the history of the Roman Catholic Church. And what he's saying is, look, who are you, Pandolf, to come, because you're a cardinal of the you know, the, the Roman Catholic Church. Who are you to come and meddle in my business because I am the King of England? In other words, God has put me as King of England. Who are you to come and tell me what you're doing? And he says, by the way, let me just show you how wrong your church is. And he says, line 164, he says, dreading the curse that money may buy out. And the in some ways, if you if you know anything of the history of the Catholic Church, and uh, I have to admit to you, I do because I was a Catholic, and I've also studied about it. Uh, you know, since uh, having my mind open to what uh, the Bible says about religion. If if you really look into this, what what he's saying is, your church is is uh, is a criminal, <laughs> and and what he's saying is. He says, dreading the curse that money may buy you out. And what, what he's saying is, look, your church is wrong. And what you're doing is you let people buy their way out of sin. You know, they can buy their way out. And, and as a young Catholic, I mean, I remember this. I mean, uh, all, all, uh, all Hallow's Eve or Halloween, you know, it was right before All Saints Day. And All Saints Day, we would take an offering to the church to get someone out of purgatory <laughs> and that's buying people out and if you if you really uh, know your your bible history 
And uh, this really is referring back to Simon Magus. Because who started all this? Or you, it's, it's called simony, where you buy your way out of hell or you buy your way out of purgatory. And uh, if you go to Acts 8 and verse 20, uh, you know, there's Simon Magus. He's, he's a, a, you know, Philip the evangelist came and he was a deacon at the time, came and preached Christ and, and about the kingdom. And, uh, you know, all these people in, in northern Israel and Samaria, they were bewitched by this Simon Magus. And, uh, you know, he, he watched Philip. He went around following Philip and he saw all this power because of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter came and he put hands on people so they could receive the Holy Spirit. And Simon Magus got in line and he said, hey, Peter, you know what? Let me buy an office with you. You know, why don't you make me an apostle just like you? I'll give you money and then I can lay hands on people. I can be an apostle. And so, so in some ways, if, if you know Shakespeare, Shakespeare knew his Bible. I mean, we know that. And, and, uh, again, you know, King John is saying, you know, buying a pardon for sin is absolutely criminal. And, and who are you to tell me what to do, you know, as a, as a king? And, uh, uh, he goes on then to say, he said, uh, and by the merit of vile gold and dross and dust, purchase corrupted pardon of a man who in that cell sells pardon from himself, though you and all the rest so grossly led this juggling witchcraft and rev with revenue cherish. Yet I alone, alone do me oppose against the Pope and count his friends my foes. Now, if you know anything also about Simon Magus, and again, you can go right to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, you can read all about it, is Simon was a sorcerer. He was into witchcraft. And so it's interesting, and the more I read this, the more I realized, you know, Shakespeare had to know some of this Bible history. And, uh, uh, you know, Simon used sorcery to, well, get power over the people. And so, so when he saw Peter laying hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit, he said, wow, that's real power. I'd like to buy that power. And so, so in some ways, what you have here is, is Shakespeare's writing this right into this play. And it does, to me, it, uh, it goes right back to Simon Magus. And even the Catholic Church knows that, uh, the Catholic Church wasn't really formed until AD 33. And the point is, uh, the, the true church of God was, was founded much before that. And so, so, uh, the Catholic Church doesn't really like to reveal this or talk about it much, but Simon Magus is the head. He was the beginning head of the, the church. And, uh, of course they, they called him Simon Peter, or it sounds like Simon Peter. And so they try to make it like, well, you know, the apostle Peter was the head of the Catholic church and he wasn't. So, so, uh, anyway, I, I just thought that was, that was interesting to bring out. And, uh, uh, there's more as we're going to go through here. Now, if, if you listened, if you, if you continue to read through this, then Pandolf, he comes back and he says, well, then by the lawful power that I have, thou shalt stand cursed and excommunicate and blessed shall be he that doth revolt from his allegiance to a heretic, and meritorious shall that hand be called. And he said, so, so here Pandolf says, okay, 
Uh, if that's the way you feel, you are excommunicated. You're done. You're done with being the Catholic Church. And, uh, of course, we know that later in England's history, uh, Henry VIII and his, uh, you know, famous daughter, Elizabeth, uh, they got rid of the Catholic Church and Catholic Church involved in England. And so uh, there's some more that we, we can go through this and, and we'll talk about this more as we go. But, uh, you know, Pandolf then says, Then by the lawful power that I have, thou shalt, be, thou shalt stand cursed and excommunicate, and blessed shall he be that doth revolt from his allegiance to a heretic. Now, the thing is, is he knows that King John and King Philip have already, you know, formed a decision. They've already joined hands together. They've built a truce between them. And he knows that. And so, so we have to understand that King Philip is right there. Uh, he's hearing all this. And, uh, you know, I don't know all the history. There's, there's a lot of deep history here. But, uh, I've often wondered as I'm preparing these programs, how did Pandolf know to come at this exact time? And it could be that King Philip was aware of him and brought him at the time. And remember now, uh, this whole play is really about King Philip wanting to keep the lands of Angiers away from England. That's what was really going on. And so so uh, uh, King John didn't want to lose his, his ancestral lands. But then Pandolf, like I said, he says, look, it could look like your subjects are now going to uh, you know, just dump you and they're going to be disloyal to you. And, uh, you know, he, he goes on to say there at the end, he says, from his allegiance to, allegiance to a heretic and meritorious shall that hand be called, canonized and worshipped as a saint. That takes away by any secret course thy hateful life. So he said, and, and essentially what Pandolf is, is he's, he's actually, Philip is right there. He's actually trying to tell Philip, look, if you dump this guy, if you dump King John and you do what we want, why, you're going to be canonized and worshipped as a saint. <laughs> you know, so so you talk about um, uh, trying to bribe somebody, uh, there Pandolf was already starting to do it. Now, also then, Constance, who is the mother of Arthur, uh, what do you think she wants? Well, she wants Philip to disembark from John anyway and start a war with him. So Constance then says, O lawful let it be that I have room with Rome to curse a while. Good Father Cardinal, cry thou amen to my keen curses, for without my wrong there is no tongue hath power to curse him right. So she's saying, oh man, I am so happy to hear what Pandolf's saying, and would you just curse him for me? Just keep cursing him. Now, it does get a little ugly even with King John, and uh, if we have time, we'll be talking about that today. And, uh, uh, you know, but but uh, Constance is just, wow, she's kind of excited. And uh, uh, she's saying to him, look, to my king curses, for without my wrong, there is no tongue hath power to curse him right. And then Pandolf comes back at her and says, well, well, there's law and warrant, lady, for my curse. <laughs> he says, I, I have law behind me. And then Constance says, and for mine too, when law can do no right, let it be lawful that law bar no wrong. Law cannot give my child his kingdom here, 
For he that holds his kingdom holds the law. Therefore, since law itself is perfect wrong, how can the law forbid my tongue to curse? So she's basically saying, well, look, John is saying he's in charge. John has the law. There's a law here. He's saying, no, we're not going to give the kingdom to your son. That's not going to happen. And so she's saying, well, you know, there can be a law here and a law there, and they're different. And, uh, uh, you know, so, so she's, she's really kind of warming up to Pandolf. And then Pandolf goes back and he says, Philip of France, on peril of a curse, let go the hand of that arch heretic and raise the power of France upon his head, unless he do submit himself to Rome. So, so there, I think probably when we, we read past this uh, last time, we probably missed it, but he says, raise the power of France upon his head. So in other words, Pandolf is saying, Philip, you've got to start a war with England to, to do what I say. And, um, you know, he said, we've got to get King John to submit to the Rome. We got to get him to submit to Rome. And he said, so you've got to raise the power of France upon his head unless he do submit himself to Rome. So he said, okay, we could, we can solve this here. Uh, if, if uh, John just submits to Rome, John is not going to submit to Rome. And then, then Queen Eleanor, she pops in and this is where some of the women go into fighting. And Eleanor says to, to, uh, France, he says, Lookest thou pale, France, do not let go thy hand. Or what she's saying is, don't break the truce that you just made. I mean, this is going to impact a lot of people. And, uh, you know, Eleanor, she, remember now, she was, uh, uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine, she was very uh, astute politically, and she understood government. And she's saying, look, you know, look, France, don't do this. Don't, don't let this happen. And then Constance, you know, here the two women go at it for a while. She says, look to that devil. And, and what she means there is devil is she's calling Eleanor a devil. <laughs> you know, so, so you got some feisty people here fighting. And, uh, she says, look to that devil, lest that France repent and by disjoining hands, hell lose a soul. So, so what she's saying is devil is look, Eleanor, if France doesn't repent, if he doesn't break the truce, if he doesn't support Rome, well, uh, he's going to go to hell. And she says, um, you know, if, if he disjoins his hands, then hell will lose his soul. So he'll be, he'll be saint. He'll be a saint. He'll be Saint Philip. And then Austria, remember now Austria, he's a, he's a, he's a duke from the Holy Roman Empire. And that's why he's there. You are, you can wonder, well, how did he get there? Well, yeah, the Holy Roman Empire is very much in, in league with the church, the Catholic church. And, uh, we know from Bible prophecy that, that the Holy Roman Empire is actually going to rise again really soon. It's, it's, a, we don't know exactly when, but it's coming. And, and, uh, we believe that the, one of the main kings of that Holy Roman Empire is going to be from Germany. And so, um, you know, it's, it, uh, uh, 
Germany's even really getting involved in the, if you look at it, it's getting involved in the Middle East, getting involved, trying to support Jerusalem. And uh, again, this this program is a literature program. It's not necessarily intended to bring to bring a lot of Bible prophecy into it, but but there are there's a lot of material that we give free to people. If you really are interested in these things, you just have to contact thetrumpet.com. Um, then uh, uh, Austria then pipes up when he hears Constance. He says, "King Philip, listen to the cardinal." And so, so uh, even the Holy Roman Empire is saying, "Look, you got to support the Pope. You got to listen to to his cardinal." And then Sir Richard, who is also the bastard, if you remember that, he goes after Austria. And so you can see this war is just starting. It's right here. And Austria says, well, ruffian, I must pocket up these wrongs. The bastard says to him and hang a calfskin on his recreant limbs. So, so Sir Richard, again, for being uh, an illegitimate child, Shakespeare has him in this play as one of the smartest, smartest characters in the play. He knows what's going on with Randolph or Pandolf, and he knows what's going on between King John and King Philip. And he's there to support King John. That's what he's there for. And uh, Austria, you know, that says, well, ruffian, I must pocket up these wrongs because, and then <laughs> the Sir Richard stops him. He says, yeah, because your breeches best may carry them. <laughs> so so he's saying, yeah, just stuff your breeches, you know, full of, uh, f- full of all these things. And then King John says, Philip, what say you to the cardinal? And, you know, King John is saying, hey, wh- what are you going to say now? Uh, you know, so King John, remember, they came into this scene. Uh, they were both holding hands. And, in fact, I, I uh, did do some research uh, on this after last program. And I did find, uh, a- again, this, this is a summary uh, from, from one of the, the websites that, uh, that talk about this play. And uh, the, the one thing that they say is King John enters this whole meeting. Uh, he, he enters holding the hand of King Philip. Lewis and Blanche follow, then Eleanor, then, then Sir Richard, then Austria. And then Philip announces that the great day of the wedding will become an annual festival. So this is a couple programs back. And so, so essentially they were holding hands, but they also had made a truce. And so, so uh, you know, this is, this is really, really quite interesting. So if we turn over to page 50 now, we'll just continue, continue the scene. You know, King, King John is really perplexed by Philip. He says, Philip, what sayest you to the cardinal? And then Constance st- steps in and says, what should he say but as the cardinal? And Constance is standing up uh, for the Catholic Church now. She's standing up for the cardinal because she likes to, she wants to get John off the throne so her son, Arthur, can have the throne. So, so there, I mean, she's not full of faith. <laughs> she wants she what she wants. Then Lewis, remember now, Lewis is the Dauphin, and uh, he's agreed to to marry Blanche, who is a, a niece to King John. And of course, she was from Spain. She's a princess from Spain. And then Lewis says, "Bethink you, Father, for the difference is purchase of a heavy curse from Rome." 
or the light loss of England for a friend forgo the easier. So Lewis is saying, essentially, um, you know, to his father, Philip, dump John. That's going to be the easy part. Dump him and, and stick with Rome. That's essentially what he's saying. And Blanche, now she is the, again, now she's Spanish, and she's the, the niece of King John, and she really obviously does love her uncle. And Blanche says, that's the curse of Rome. And, and, uh, uh, she's saying, well, well, yeah, let's, let's, uh, uh, let's not dump England. You know, let's, let's, uh, get rid of Rome. Let's just stay away from Rome. And then Constance says, Oh, Lewis, stand fast. The devil tempts thee here in, in likeness of a new untrimmed bride or unadorned bride. And he said, and Blanche is saying, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Don't listen to your, your future wife. <laughs> you know, just, just, you know, dump John. That's what she's, she's really saying there. And, uh, this is Constance. And she says, Man, Lewis, don't let this happen. You know, stick with your father. Then Blanche says, the lady Constance speaks not from her faith, but from her need. And so so Blanche can see through this, and she's saying, look, Constance is not religious. She's not spiritual. She's not a true Roman Catholic, basically. she You know, she speaks not from her faith, but from her need, and her need is to get Arthur on the throne. <laughs> That's her need. And because, well, she'll be the queen mother. She wants, she wants power and position. And Constance says, Oh, if thou grant my need, which only lives but by the death of faith, that need must needs infer this principle. And so the, you got two needs there, but it's that the second need should be necessity. That need must necessity infer this principle that faith would live again by death of need. And so, so in other words, if she gets what she needs, then faith is going to live. Oh, then trade down my need and faith mounts up. Keep my need up and the faith is trodden down. And so, so in other words, fill my need, faith is going to mount right up. King John then, it's interesting. King John, he's not stupid. Uh, but again, he, he was, uh, probably not really prepared to be king. And uh, again, I think I've talked to you about that before, that, that a lot of the, the uh, rules of kingship and how, how the, who the throne proceeds onto wasn't really established well at this time. But King, said, uh, king John says, the king is disturbed, or it says they're moved, and answers not to this. So he's really disturbed by what he's seeing. I mean, they just made this truce. Uh, they, they've been, they were, you know, arguing with the people of Angiers. They had to have, they already had a war at one time and, uh, they lost soldiers on both sides. And he says, this is really disturbing. And then Constance says, oh, be removed from him and answer well. And so, so, uh, you know, he's saying she's not very, being very polite to, to King John. And, uh, even though, uh, essentially she's, you know, her husband was Joffrey and that was his brother. So, you know, she's his sister-in-law. <laughs> so she's not for even the family. And then notice Austria pops back in here. He says, do so, King Philip, hang no more in doubt. So Austria is saying, yeah, come on, Philip, let's get going. Let's get this. Don't hang in doubt. You're going to be fine. 
And then Sir Richard comes in and says, hang nothing but a calfskin, most sweet lout. So, so he's, he's slapping Austria. <laughs> he just, he's saying, you're a lout. What are you doing here? You know, hang nothing but a calfskin. And then, then King Philip comes in and says, I am perplexed and know not what to say. So, so if you remember at the beginning of the play, they called each other brother brother of England, brother of, of, uh, of France. And remember that England did hold a lot of land in France. And there was truces between France and, and England. And so, so uh, King Philip is wondering, well, what really should I do here? And then Pandolf comes back and says, what can't you say but will perplex thee more if you stand excommunicate and curse? And so, so here, Pandolf is not afraid to say, well, hey, if you can't come up with the right answer, guess what? You're going to stand excommunicate and cursed. And so, so uh, you know, this really puts Philip into a, a bind. And Philip says, good reverend father, make my person yours and tell me how you would bestow yourself. Or in other words, he's just saying, hey, could you put yourself in my shoes? <laughs> you know? This is we right now they're united family because Blanche and Lewis are going to get married. So so there is a tie, a marriage tie there between England and France. And he said, Look, you know, this is all going in the back of Philip's mind. If if we can just uh, kind of imagine that. He says, His royal hand and mine are newly knit, and the conjunction of our inward souls, married in league, coupled and linked together with all religious strength of sacred vows, the latest breath that gave the sound of words was deep sworn faith, peace, amity, true love between our kingdoms and our royal selves. And even before this truce, but, bef but knew before, no longer than we well could wash our hands to clap this royal bargain up of peace. And so, so Philip is, is uh, he's genuinely not happy with it, with what he's being forced to do. And he said, uh, he said, no longer than we, we well could wash our hands to clap this world bargain up of peace. Heaven knows they were besmeared and overstained with slaughter's pencil, where revenge did paint the fearful difference of incense kings. And shall these hands so largely purged of blood so newly joined in love, so strong in both, unyoke this seizure and this kind regreet? Play fast and loose with face, so jest with heaven. Make such unconstant children of ourselves, and now again to snatch our palm from palm, unswear faith sworn, and on the marriage bed of smiling peace to march a bloody host, and make a riot on the gentle brow of true sincerity. O oh, holy sir, my reverend father, let it not be so, out of your grace, devise, ordain, impose some gentle order, and then we shall be blessed to do your pleasure and continue friends. So he's saying, look, come on, Pandolf, can't you do something a little less, um, let's say, destructive to the family? He said, all form is formless. This is Pandolf. This is page 52. All form is formless, order orderless, save where what is opposite to England's love. Therefore, to arms. And, and, uh, Pandolf right there says, look, look, don't worry about England. Get to arms. You know, he, he said it. We need a war right here. That's what we need. 
And he says, be champion of our church or let the church, our mother, breathe her curse, a mother's curse on her revolting son. France, you may as hold a serpent by the tongue, a case lying by the moral paw, a fasting tiger safer by the tooth, then keep in peace that hand which thou dost hold. And, and he, he, Pandolf is really putting the pressure on him. He said, you got to get ready to fight, go to arms be champion for the church and and you know it's in some ways what he's saying is you know king john he has got to you know submit to the church and if you stay joined with king john then you're not submitting to the church and he said it's going to be going to be bad for you and then king philip says i may destroy my hand but not my faith now th- this is uh, actually when I, I did some more study on, on this uh, section of the play, uh, if, you, if you look at Shakespeare, um, uh, he really was, you know, he wasn't necessarily a converted man, but he did, um, you know, he, he did have some religious background. He did study the Bible. And uh, there, there's some things here that I wanted to, there's a note that I want to read to you after I read some of these lines. Says, so makest thou faith an enemy to faith. This is Pandolf speaking. And like a civil war set oath to oath, thy tongue against thy tongue, O let thy vow first made to heaven, first be to heaven performed, that is, to be the champion of our church. And so he's saying, look, you know, you, you've made your first vow. Your first vow was to be a champion of our church. And he said, it's, you, you know, you don't have a vow uh, you know, to, to the king of England. He says, What since thou sworest is sworn against thyself and may not be performed by thyself? For that which thou hast sworn to do amiss, I is not amiss when it is truly done. And being not done where doing tends to ill, the truth is then most done not doing it. The better act of purposes mistook is to mistake again through indirect yet indirection thereby grows direct. And falsehood, falsehood cures as fire coals within the scorched veins of one new burned. Now, that, that is a doctrine, and it was called equivocation. And, and what the Pope is telling him, hey, why don't you equivocate? It says, Philip, by not performing what he, he has just vowed, may in turn his wrong to right. This is the note at the bottom of the page. When one has done wrong, it is often easier to return to the truth path by another wrong than to retrace, retrace one's steps. This doctrine of equivocation was particularly hated by Elizabethan Protestants. So, so this is a Catholic thing. And, you know, what Catholics saying, Hey, sometimes it takes two wrongs to make a right. And, you know, as, as uh, uh, I was growing up, I was told two wrongs don't make a right. But here, the Pope, you know, the Pope's legate is saying, eh, two wrongs, they can make a right. And uh, so, so you can see that Shakespeare, as I was saying, you know, he, he's a, uh, talking about the beginning of the Catholic Church, I think it's it's really clear there because it's talking about simony and it's talking about witchcraft. And we know that, that Simon Magus was really into witchcraft. 
And uh, there's even evidence, if you really study into Catholic Church history, there's a lot of it being hidden. But even the Catholic Church was at one time into witchcraft. And so, so uh, uh, you know, it's, the history is there, and it's true. So, so let's go to page 53 now, and we'll, we'll uh, finish this line. This is uh, Pandolf. He said, It is religion that doth make vows kept, but thou hast sworn against religion, but what thou swearest against the thing thou swearest, and makest an oath a surety for thy truth, against an oath the truth thou art unsure. To swear swears only not to be forsworn, else what a mockery should it be to swear. But not thus swear only to be forsworn, for most forsworn to keep what they doth swear. Therefore thy latter vows against thy first is thy rebellion to thyself. And better conquest never can thou make than arm thy constant and thy noble parts against the giddy loose suggestions, upon which better part our prayers come in. If thou forsake them, but if not, then, no, the peril of our curses light on thee, so heavy as thou shalt shake them off, but in despair die under their black weight. And so he's saying, look, I'm not backing off. And uh, the black weight there, when he says, but in despair die under their black weight, that's the doom. It's like the doom, uh, the dark doom. And it's it's a, it's not a, a pleasant thing. And then notice Austria pipes up, and he stands right there for Pandolf. He says rebellion is flat rebellion. So he's telling King Philip, if you don't disjoin your hands with John, it's flat rebellion. And then notice Sir Richard comes right back in there, and he says, wilt not be. Will not a calfskin stop that mouth of thine? <laughs> so, so here's Sir Richard. He stands up for King John. And uh, uh, then Lewis, he pipes in here. We've got a whole group of people here. And uh, uh, the, Sir Richard stands up for John. Lewis then says, Father to arms. So, so here, Lewis, also probably a good Catholic, is saying, Look, look, Dad. Go to arms. Fight against this. Fight against fight against John. And then Blanche, if you really look at what, what it says here, it says, Upon thy wedding day? Against the blood that thou hast married? And she's saying, Look, th this is th this is actually going to, you know, disrupt our family. Because here, I'm not going to turn against my uncle. And and you know if if this all gets started, it's it's gonna it's gonna ruin ruin their relationship as well, and so so uh, you know this is really um, kind of getting into where where I guess you, you could say that it's 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 not only going to affect King John and his rule, it's going to affect the whole family, and uh, you know it it, it really is kind of a division of Lewis and Blanche as well. And, uh, you know, but Constance, she keeps urging Philip to obey Pandolf. So, so uh, you know, she really doesn't care either what's going on. So, so if you notice that, the very last line there, he says, Lewis says, farther to arms. And then Blanche says, upon the wedding day against the blood that thou, thou hast married, 
And then notice, she says, what shall our, this is page 54, uh, Blanche goes on, what shall our feast be kept with slaughtered men, shall bring trumpets and loud curlish drums, clamors of hell be measured to our pomp. Oh, husband, hear me, I, alack, how new is husband in my mouth, even for that name which till this time my tongue did ne'er pronounce, upon my knee I beg, go not to arms against mine uncle. And then, you know, she's really reaching out to her, her husband, don't do this. And Constance says, oh, upon my knee, made hard with kneeling, I do pray to thee, thou virtuous Dauphin, alter not the doom forethought by heaven. And so, so here Constance, who's not even related to Blanche or Lewis, is saying, hey, Lewis, don't listen to your wife. <laughs> Stay out of it. So you can see, you know, that, that there's all of a sudden there's just division going everywhere. And uh, Blanche then says to Constance, now I see your love. What motive may be stronger than thee than the name of wife? And, Con you know, she's saying, look, what, what are you doing? You know, wh where is your love? Constance then says, that which upholds him that upholds his honor. Oh, thine honor, Lewis, thine honor. And so she's saying, look, Lewis, don't listen to your wife. Stick, into your, stick to your own honor. And Lewis says, I muse, your majesty does seem so cold when such profound respects do pull you on. So Lewis just tells her off saying, look, she is a queen mother, she thinks, <laughs> because Arthur is supposedly ready for the throne. Um, and then, of course, her husband, Godfrey, did die. He said, look, I muse. You know, in other words, this is kind of funny. Your Majesty, uh, you seem so cold when such profound respects do pull you on. And then Pandolf says, I will denounce a curse upon his head. And then, um, you know, Pandolf saying, look, I'm, I'm going to put a curse on Philip. And then King Philip says, you shall not need England. I will fall from thee. And so Philip gives in. He's, he's, it seems like he's going to give in. And then Constance says, O fair return of banished majesty. And then Eleanor says, O foul revolt of French inconstancy. And so, so uh, I, I guess in some ways that is part of the French background, some inconstancy. And even from, from the book of Genesis, we know that Reuben, son of Jacob, is where the nation of France is today. They're Reubenites. And they were inconstant. Even even uh, Reuben was inconstant to his father's bed. King John then says, France, thou shalt rue this hour within this hour. And then, so, so in other words, King John says, okay, you want a war? We're going. Going for it. And then Sir Richard says, old time the clock setter, the bald sexton time, is it as he will? Well, then France shall rue. So, so Sir Richard knows. Okay, we're going to go to war. You're going to you're going to suffer. And then Blanche says, "The sun's overcast with blood. Fair day, adieu. Which is the side that I must go with? All I am with both. Each army hath a hand, and in their rage I having 
hold of both, they whirl asunder and dismember me. Husband, I cannot pray that you may win. Uncle, I needs must pray that you may lose. Father, I may not wish the fortune thine. Grandam, I will not wish thy wishes thrive. Whoever wins on the on that side shall I lose. Assured loss before the the match be played. So you can see it's it's just tearing Blanche apart. And Lewis says, Lady with me, with me thy fortune lies. And then Blanche says, There are my fortune lives, lives, there my life dies. And she said, Look, what if you get killed in this battle? Yeah, my fortune's going to die with you. And then King John says, Cousin, go draw our puissance together. Now, puissance just means our power. And King John is saying that to Sir Richard, uh, who is the illegitimate son of, of uh, his brother. He says, France, I am burned up with inflaming wrath, a rage whose heat hath this condition, that nothing can ally, nothing but blood, the blood and dearest valued blood of France. And so John is saying, it's on. You know, we're going to go after France. And King Philip says, Thy rage shall burn thee up, and thou shalt turn to ashes, ere our blood shall quench that fire. That's kind of a bold comment from a from a Frenchman. He said, yeah, yeah, well, don't talk about your blood. You know, it's going to be turned to ash before you can even use it. Philip says, look to yourself, you are in jeopardy. And then King John says, no more than he that threats two arms let high. And so, so uh, that's what, what I really wanted to kind of focus on a little bit today is that it's really, it's Pandolf that has stirred up this war. It was going to be peaceful until he got involved in all of it. And so, so uh, uh, hopefully that will help you, you know, understand then what's coming on. And remember, this is one of the, the biggest the, the biggest chapter in this in this play is, is chapter three, and there's a lot in it. So if we go to scene two, and I think I've read some of this before, um, you know, there's there's alarms. Uh, essentially, in uh, in Act three, scene two, we're in the English camp, and so remember, I think this it might make this sound because of uh, Pandolf starting this war. He's really behind it all. Hopefully, that you can begin to understand that that you know there's two camps there's the english camp now and then there's the the uh french camp and so so king if if you notice that that uh, sir richard is now in in the middle of it and he's actually going to be a big help he says uh, now by my life this day grows wondrous hot some airy devil hovers in the sky and pours down mischief austria's head lies there while philip breathes so essentially what's happened already is Sir Richard has beheaded. He's beheaded uh, the uh, Austria. He's taken care of Austria. Now, there's something that, that uh, begins to, really it's kind of a little bit disturbing here. He says, uh, King John then comes back and he says, Hubert, keep this boy. Philip, make up. My mother is assailed in our tent and taken, I fear. And uh, uh, so, so what he has is King John has Arthur. He's got control of Arthur, the boy. And then the, the, the Sir Richard says, My lord, I rescued her, her highness, and this is uh, Eleanor, 
is in safety, fear you not, but on my leads for very little pains will bring this labor to a happy end. And so, so essentially, uh, John is sending, uh, he's going to send, uh, Sir Richard back to England to get some more troops. So then notice how that's just one scene and it really goes fast. Then look at three, scene three, there's alarms, there's excursions, there's retreat, enter King John, Eleanor, Arthur, uh, the Sir Richard, Hubert, and Lords. And then King John says to Eleanor, so be it, so shall it be, your grace shall stand behind, uh, you know, so shall it be, your grace shall stay behind, so strongly guarded to Arthur. He says, cousin, look not sad, your granddam loves you, and your uncle was will as dear be to thee as your father was. And so, so uh, here John gives Arthur uh, to Eleanor to take care of. And then Arthur says, oh, this will make my mother die with grief. And then King John says, cousin, away for England. Haste before and ere go coming, see thou shake the bags. And so, so essentially what he's, uh, King John is telling Richard, go to England, get some, get some more support. Instead of hoarding up, and essentially what he's doing there is King John. And this, this is what he was known for in history. He said, uh, they're going to need some money. They're going to need more troops. And he says, and ere are coming, see, they'll shake the bags of hoarding abbots. So in other words, he wants them to go all the churches uh, in England and get money. <laughs> he wants to get money out of there. He says, uh, go, go to the hoarding abbots and prison angels set at liberty. The fat ribs of peace must be the hungry now be fed upon. Use our commission in its utmost force. And now it's, it's interesting here. The bastard says, bell, book, and candle shall not drive me back. And uh, uh, there was an old movie years ago called Bell, Book, and Candle. It was about witches. And so so essentially what he's sending Richard to Catholic churches to get money, to get money from them. And, uh, you know, bell, book, and candle has everything to do with witchcraft. And the bastard says, well, bell, book, and candle shall not drive me back. When gold and silver begs me to come on, I leave your your highness. Grandam, I will pray, if ever I remember to be holy, for your fair safety, so I kiss your hand. So remember now, uh, Sir Sir Richard is a uh, grandchild of Eleanor because of Richard the Lionheart. And so, so uh, you know, he, he is a, a, a relative. And Eleanor says, farewell, gentle cousin. And the king says, cuz, farewell. So, so, uh, uh, Sir Richard, you know, drops off the scene. And then Eleanor says, come, come hither, little kinsman, mark a word. And so, you know, Eleanor, remember, Arthur's about 10 years old here. And, uh, Eleanor takes him, uh, to, to kind of protect him. Now, this is where I think it's a little bit disturbing. And I really understood this a lot better, you know, getting ready for this program but king john says come hither hubert oh my gentle hubert we owe thee much and so this he's talking to the guy that was up on the you know up on the top of the the wall and and years and he's saying oh come hither hubert oh my gentle hubert we owe thee much within this wall of flesh there is a there is a soul counts thee here creditor her creditor and with advantage means to pay thy love 
and my good friend, thy voluntary oath, lives in his bosom, dearly cherished. So John is really doing the butter-up job on Hubert. He says, give me thy hand. I had a thing to say, but I will fit it with some better tune. By heaven you, but I am almost ashamed to say what good respect I have of thee. And then Hubert says, I am much bounden to your majesty. And so so Hubert is, he's being suckered, is what he's really <laughs> being suckered. And and uh, I didn't, uh, again, last time I was trying to read so much that I didn't stop and really explain this as well I should. So so now I'll, I'll sleep better tonight that I got this over the, over the, and there's still not enough time to get it all in. But King John says, good friend, thou hast no cause to say so yet, but thou shalt have creep time ne'er, to, ne'er so slow, yet it shall come from me to do thee good. I had a thing to say, but let it go. Oh, he's going, oh, yeah, I was going to say something to you, but I really forget what it was, because you're such a great guy. He said, the sun is in the heaven, and the proud day attended with pleasures of the world is all too wanton and too full of gods to give me audience. If the midnight bell did with his iron tongue and brazen mouth sound on into the drowsy ear of night, if this same were a churchyard where we stand and thou possessed with a thousand wrongs, or if that surly spirit melancholy had baked thy blood and made it heavy thick, which else runs tickling up and down thy veins, making that idiot laughter keep men's eyes and strain with their cheeks to idle merriment, a passion hateful to my purposes, or if that thou could see me without eyes, hear me without thine ears, and make reply without a tongue, using conceit alone, without eyes, ears, and harmful sounds of words, then in despite of broad-eyed watchful day, I would into thy bosom pour my thoughts, but ah, I will not, yet I will love thee well, and by my troth, I think thou lovest me well. And so, <laughs> all that was riffraff. <laughs> He's just really, really sucking, uh, you know, this this uh, Hubert in. So Hubert says, so well, what would you bid me undertake? Though that my death were adjunct to my act, by heaven I would do it. He said, look, I'll do whatever you want. Even if it means me dying, I'll do it. And that, of course, that's exactly what King John wants to hear. And he says, do not I know thou wouldst? Good Hubert, 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 throw thine eye on yon young boy. I'll tell thee what, my friend, he is a very serpent in my way, and whatsoever this foot of mine doth tread, he lies before me. Dost thou understand me? Thou art his keeper. And so, so you have to know who he's talking about. It's not necessarily revealed right here, but he's talking about Arthur. <laughs> he said, look, I want you to take care of that serpent that's just getting in my way. And Hubert says, I'll, I'll keep him so that he shall not offend your majesty. And then King John just says, death. Death. And Hubert says, my lord. King John says, a grave. Death, a grave. Then Hubert says, oh, he shall not live. And then King John says, enough. I could be merry now. Hubert, I love thee. Well, I not say what I intend for thee. Remember, madam, fare you well. 
I'll send these those powers over to your majesty. So actually, Eleanor is right there hearing all this. And Eleanor says, my blessings go with thee. And uh, King John says, for England, cousin, go. Hubert shall be your man. Attend on you with true, all true duty on toward Calais. Ho. And so, so uh, uh, we're going to run out of time here any second. So in scene four, what you do, you have uh, King Philip of France, you have Louis the Dauphin, you have Pandolf in attendance. And uh, uh, essentially, you would be in the French camp. And so, um, uh, essentially, Philip is saying, so by a roaring tempest on the flood, a whole armado of convicted sail is scattered and disjoined from fellowship. And Pandolf says, courage and comfort, all shall yet go well. So, so I want to just mention this right here in this scene. Pandolf is right there with Philip, and he's warring with everybody else. But he's obviously against the English side, but he's with the French side because, you know, the Pope is very upset what King John has done for the, you know, the, the, uh, Bishop of Canterbury. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> anyway, Pandolf is saying, look, he doesn't listen to the Pope. We got to get rid of him. It's just the way it is. And we want, we want our own man in Canterbury. And so, so, uh, you know, King Philip is just going along. He says, what can we go well when we have run so ill? Are we not beaten? Is not Angiers lost? Arthur taken prisoner? Divers friends slain and bloody England into England gone? Overbearing interruption, spite of France? And so Philip is saying, we're losing this war. We're losing it. And so, so uh, you know, that's, that's really, um, you know, very disheartening to him. And there's there's a lot more now that we can talk about, but but it, I just think it's really important that you all understand that it's the Catholic Church and it's Pandolf that's really inciting the war between uh, England and France. So that's all the time I have for today. Now next time we'll continue. In uh, let's see, we're in we're in Act Three, uh, so we'll, we'll continue in Act Three, and. Uh, um, it's it's really um, going to be exciting. There, there's going to be a lot that we can we can talk about. But now I think you have I think you have the best background to to understand the rest of the play, and uh, it is going to get more and more interesting. So again, that's all the time we have for today's program. Please write me any comments you may have to comments at kpcg.fm. You can also comment at my Twitter page. It's called Shakespeare's World Education. You will be able to find a good used copy of King John at abebooks.com. And some of the copies will be under $5. So, so if you can find the $5 one, buy that one because it's going to be just as good. So thanks for joining me next time as we advance our royal education. You've been listening to Shakespeare's Royal Education on Trumpet Radio. 101.3 KPCG, streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.